Well, if this is your first time with us or your guest this morning, um, we are in week two of a message series called Songs of Christmas. And I've been excited about this series for uh, a while now, just leading up to it. Um, So during the month of December, we're actually taking a closer look at the very first Songs of Christmas ever sung. You know, for a lot of people, when I talk about Christmas or the Christmas season, uh, the music is their favorite part of this time of year. And even if you don't care about the music too much, um, you can't help but walk away humming the songs or singing the songs when you hear them. You know, for me, it's kind of like VBS each year. So when we first came to OCC, one of the things that stood out to us was just the incredible job our volunteers do and Shannon, our children and youth director, uh, the incredible job they do every year with VBS. And this is consistent. If you volunteer at VBS or if you drop your kids off or pick up your grandkids, whatever the case is, if you hear the VBS songs, it just gets stuck in your head. They're they're amazing. And you find yourself for a day or a week or even a month humming these songs, singing these songs. It just gets implanted in your brain. And sometimes you're just ready to get them out. It takes takes a long time. But for me, that's kind of what it's like. Our Christmas series this year um, is based in the book of Luke, and I would say there's a lot of reasons that I love reading through the book of Luke this time of year. I want to give you three short reasons, and maybe you'll be able to connect with this today. Reason number one is actually something we're doing as a church family. If you start reading Luke's gospel... Uh, one chapter at a time, and you start on December 1st, um, by the time we get to Christmas Eve, you'll have read through the entire uh, book of Luke. So one chapter a day, 24 uh, chapters, and you'll have finished the book of Luke. So I love doing that each year. And uh, maybe if you're here today and you say, you know, I haven't really started that, but I'd like to, um, just start in Luke chapter 15 today. Just pick up right where the rest of the church is this morning. Another reason I love reading through Luke's gospel uh, this time of year is because Luke was a doctor. And when you read uh, his gospel account, um, it's accurate, like all of the other gospels are, but he gives us a little bit more detail. And I really appreciate that as I'm reading and learning about the the life and ministry of Jesus. A third reason is this, and this is a newer reason, and that is that Luke's gospel gives us four of the very first songs of Christmas ever sung. And I happen to love Christmas music. So these are songs that were were sung by uh, Mary, a song sung by Zechariah, a song sung by the angels, and a song sung by Simeon. And these first songs of Christmas, um, there's a purpose behind them. The purpose is they, they teach us about God. They teach us about his character and his nature. And I believe for the people of God, they they really do help bring us to the to the heart of what Christmas is all about. So in our first message, this is a couple weeks ago because we had a um, a choir musical last week. In our first message, we looked uh, first at Mary's song. And Mary's song is an amazing song of praise. And it's a song that helps us answer a question I think many people have about God. And that question is this, um, what is God like? What is God like? This is a question that I think most people have or have had about God. So her song answers this important question by giving us two words that describe what God is like. She tells us in her song that God is mindful. So that's the first word. He tells us that he's mindful. And then she tells us that God is mighty. So we learn that God was mindful of Mary. We also learn throughout God's word that he's mindful of you individually. This means that he he thinks of you. He remembers you and he takes care of you. But God is also mighty. 
And we talked that week about how God is mighty to save. He's mighty to save sinners. And that's something we're going to talk a little bit more about today as well. We talked about how he's all-powerful. He's able to work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So that's Mary's song. But today we're going to look at our second song of Christmas, which is Zachariah's song. And Zachariah's song is also a song of praise. And it's a song that helps answer another important question that a lot of people have in their faith journey. And that is this, why do we need God? Why do we need God? So Zechariah's song is found in Luke chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 68. So if you do have a Bible with you this morning, we also have Bibles in the, in the seat backs in front of you, um, or if you have your phone or tablet, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 68. And then you can just hold your mark there for a little while. We're going we're gonna to come back to that here in just a little bit. Before we look at Zechariah's song, I want to give us a little bit of context that's going to help introduce us to the man behind the song, uh, to the guy who wrote the song. So we're, we're actually first introduced to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. And this is what we read in this verse. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. So right away, we learn that Zechariah and Elizabeth are two people who love the Lord with all they have. In fact, they had given their lives to serving God where they lived and in whatever capacity that he wanted to use them. And we're told that they didn't have any kids of their own at this time because Elizabeth was unable to have children. And at this point, the Bible says that they were just too old. They were past the age of being able to have children. So one day, um, Zechariah was serving in the temple. This was part of uh, the duty that he would have as, as a priest. And when he was serving in the temple, the angel Gabriel appeared to him. And he said, hey, Zechariah, God has, God has heard your prayers. You know, this, this difficult season that you and your wife have been through. Not, not able to have children when you've wanted children for so long. God has heard your prayer. You and your wife, Elizabeth, are going to have a son. And after he's born, you're going to give him the name John. And we know that this would be John the Baptist. So the name John actually means the Lord is gracious, which I think is so fitting because if you follow Zechariah and Elizabeth's story, this is such an incredible story of God's grace. Now, as a side note, the name Jesus means the Lord saves. So you have John, which means the Lord is gracious, and then you have the name of Jesus, which means the Lord saves. And throughout the New Testament, we're constantly reminded that it's because of God's grace that we're saved. It's because of Jesus. I think that's an amazing story to follow. So when Zechariah had this encounter with the angel Gabriel, we read that he was overwhelmed with fear, as I'm sure all of us would have been. And then we see how he responds to this angel. He responds in disbelief. He he didn't believe what he was telling him. He didn't think that something this extraordinary could happen in his own life. So Zechariah responds in disbelief. And then listen to how Gabriel responds to his disbelief. Listen to this. Luke chapter 1 verse 19. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. He said, I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to to bring you this good news. So Gabriel reminded him that he stands in the very presence of God. 
And that he was sent by God to share this news with their family. And part of this news was going to be that John, this, this baby, would bring their family so much joy. Remember, this is something they'd been praying for. They hadn't been able to have children on their own, and God was answering their prayer. John was going to bring their family so much joy. But John was also chosen by God specifically to prepare the way for Jesus. That was his mission or his purpose in life, was to glorify God by preparing the way for Jesus. He was going to prepare the way for Jesus by doing great things for God, by helping turn the hearts of people back to the Lord and prepare the way for Jesus' ministry here on earth by preaching a message of repentance and baptism. But, because he didn't believe Gabriel's message, we read that God caused Zechariah to become mute. So he was unable to speak until his son John would be born. Now, why all of this is happening, I think that this is... This must have been kind of a funny scene. Why all of this is taking place, why the angel's talking uh, to Zechariah, there's this large group of people waiting outside of the temple, and the Bible says that they're wondering what's taking so long. And I have to imagine that some of them are probably thinking, all right, he's dead, guys. We can go ahead and just go home. All right, it's, it's taken that long. It normally didn't take this long. You see, you didn't just walk into the temple, and you didn't just walk into a spe- specifically the holiest part of the temple. Um, A single priest, one priest was chosen uh, by lot for this. I told our elders, maybe that's how we should start doing who does communion each Sunday. We'll just cast lots and, you know, see who gets to give communion that day. But that's that's what they did. They they were chosen by lot. And here's what's crazy about this. It's it's estimated that there were over 20,000 priests in that country at that time. So the odds of Zechariah being chosen for this was one in in 20,000. And I say this to try to illustrate this point. This, this wasn't an accident. I believe that God had his hand all over this. This was God's doing. So when Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, we read that he went home. And it's shortly after returning home that his wife Elizabeth becomes pregnant. Everything the angel said was coming true. Everything that he had doubted was coming true. And when it was time for Elizabeth to have the baby, we read that she gave birth to a son. And this news spread throughout the entire community. I mean, there was so much excitement. And I think it's the same way today. When someone has a baby, uh, you know, immediate family, church family, community, we just get excited for new life. It's, it's, It's an amazing thing. So it spread throughout the community, the entire town. And we're told that everyone around came together and they ended up celebrating With their family. And then eight days passed, and they have this ceremony where they do a lot of things. Some of it's kind of graphic. I'm not going to get into that this morning. You can read it on your own. But one of the things that they do is they name the child. So they wait about eight days and they name the child. And it was typical to name uh, your firstborn son a name after the the family, specifically the, the dad. But they didn't do that. They gave him the name John, and everyone was wondering why they did that, but it's because Gabriel gave them that name directly from God. That was their instruction. See, John wasn't a family name, and it's right here in this moment when they named the baby John that Zachariah's voice comes back. It's almost like you forget about this a little bit when you're reading the story, but you have to keep in mind this entire time, the entire length of the pregnancy, he was unable to speak. That's what the Bible tells us. Can you imagine? 
I, I think maybe sometimes, I guess it could have been the other way. Everyone says, my wife has a steel tongue, which means she just talks a lot. And uh, I don't talk very much when I get home, but, <laughs> you know, that's what happens when I go off my notes. I shouldn't do that. <laughs> so it's in this moment, though, when, when they give the, the baby the name John, Zachariah's voice comes back. And it's in this moment when the baby's named, his voice comes back, that Zechariah is really the first thing he does. He sings this song of praise. And that's what we're going to celebrate this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, look with me to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 68. You can also follow along on the screen. Zechariah says, praise the Lord. Notice his first words. It's, it's praise. It's glory to God, not myself or anybody else, any, anything else that we do. Praise the Lord the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. And we know he's talking about Jesus at this point. You'll see him start to connect the dots. He said he has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred, his sacred covenant the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so that we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And then this is how I picture this. I don't know if this is right, but he's talking to John here. I imagine he's holding John. And he's praising God, thanking God for, for sending his son or, or what's, what's going to happen. And then he looks down at John and he says, And you, my little son, you will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because, God's tenders, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And to guide us to a path of peace. So there's so many wonderful truths that we could pull from this text. We could probably spend an entire series on it. But today, I want to focus on one important truth. In the very first line of this song, we're given a word that sheds some light on why Zechariah was praising God through song. It's also a word that answers the question, why do we need God? The word that Zechariah gives us is the word redeemed. So if you look at verse 68, Zechariah says, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. Redeemed, that's, that, that's the word. The word redeemed or redeemed, this is an act of someone providing payment to free someone else. It's an act of someone providing payment to free someone else. It's someone clearing a debt on your behalf that you're no longer responsible for paying back. Imagine that. You know, I, I just think about maybe some of the debt that you have in your life and someone just coming and, and clearing that completely. I mean, how, how excited you would be, how, how joyful you would be. And, and what he's singing about, this is on a much greater scale. This is on an eternal scale. You see, throughout his song, Zechariah is helping us understand the heart of Christmas, the heart of why we... Sing in anticipation, why we celebrate, why we come together as families and as the church every single year. He does so by singing about the purpose for why Jesus was born. 
and for why we need God. If you're taking notes this morning, the first point that we're going to talk about is, is this, that Jesus was born with a purpose. Jesus was born with a purpose. Some people will say uh, Jesus was born on mission. He was born with a mission. See, every single thing that God does, from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation, everything God does or says is done with a purpose. Nothing is an accident. And part of God's purpose in sending his son was to redeem people. In his song, Zechariah is explaining this wonderful truth of what God is doing in the present by referencing God's work, what he's done in the past. I believe he's referencing when God's people were slaves in Egypt. You see, a millennium and a half before the birth of Christ, about 1,500 years, God's chosen people, Israel, they were held captive as slaves in Egypt. And despite Pharaoh's resistance to God's command to let his people go, God was able to free his people, and he did this through a series of plagues. And it's interesting because I think this connects back to Mary's song, he, he did this through his uh, being mindful of his people and also displaying his might. These are two words we talked about last week. Now, there's a lot of plagues that happen here. We're not going to give the whole story this morning. But the very last plague is by far the worst. It was a plague that would bring death to the firstborn son in each family. But God provided a way out. And he did so through the death of a lamb or a young goat that would take the child's place. God's instruction to his people was that on the 10th day of that that particular month, each family was to choose a lamb or a young goat, and they were to sacrifice that animal. And then on the 14th day, they were told to to, to sacrifice the animal, spread some of the blood on the the sides and the top of the doorpost, uh, specifically at the location where they were going to eat the meat of the animal that they sacrificed. There's a lot of detail in here. It's important. I would encourage you to go back and and reread this. They actually had instructions, specific instructions for how they were to prepare the meat um, and eat it. We're not going to talk about this morning. I want to just share the, the main point, I believe, is this. that The firstborn son of, of each family uh, who trusted God's instruction, we read that they would be spared. And the firstborn son of each family who didn't trust God's instruction, we were told that they would die. So Pharaoh obviously didn't decide to trust God's instruction and devastated by what would happen throughout his own family, devastated by what happened to his own people, he finally decided to let God's people go. So then we jump back to the book of Luke in the New Testament. And in Zechariah's song, I believe he's explaining this wonderful truth of what God is doing in the present by referencing God's work in the past. See, God had redeemed his people in the past. He had had set them free. And now God is redeeming his people all over again. Only this time, it's not from enslavement to, to an Egyptian pharaoh, but from enslavement to our own sin and separation from God. See, Zechariah is pointing out a very important truth that, that we, we have to understand. We desperately need freed from the bondage of sin. The Bible teaches us that we are sinners by nature and by choice. Every person is a sinner by nature and by choice. And we can't free ourselves. We need someone else to free us, to to redeem us. I think sin is an unpopular word these days. Would you agree? You can just give me a, oh yeah. (laughs) It's an unpopular word. But it's a word that we need to understand. It's a scriptural word. 
When we look at the Bible as a whole, we see that sin it really is anything that goes against the, the character and the nature of God. Sin is anything that goes against the character and the nature of God. Sin is putting myself where God deserves to be. So in that place of authority, trying to run my own life or trying to chart my own course. Sin is falling short of God's perfect standard. And I think maybe the simplest definition for sin, sin is missing the mark. It's missing the mark. So if you're taking notes, that's going to be our second point for this morning, that sin is missing the mark. Romans 3.23 is a verse I think many people are familiar with. It says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So God's word says in Romans, but also throughout his word, that everyone, it doesn't say just a few or you know, maybe not the people who attend church every Sunday. or It doesn't say that. It says everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short. God has this, this perfect standard. And every single person who has ever lived with the exception of Jesus Christ has fallen short. You know, the best way that I know how to illustrate what sin is, and there's probably a lot of ways that are better than this, and there's a lot of theological holes in this illustration, so I'm just going to give you that warning up front. But how to explain this in a simple way. One of the best ways that I know how to explain what sin is, uh, missing the mark, falling short of God's standards, uh, standard is with the, the game of darts. How many of you guys have played darts before? All right. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually need a volunteer this morning. So we're going to do something a little different today. So if you would be willing to volunteer for something, uh, just go ahead and raise your hand. Now, I have an incentive today. Oh, yeah. There we go. You got it, Brent. Get up here, buddy. <laughs> Give Brent a hand for coming up this morning. <laughs> I'm going to lay this right here. You can, well, how about this? Can you catch it? Watch out, Barb. Look at those skills. <laughs> All right, so here's the deal, Brent. You're going to throw four darts this morning. I came prepared. All right. You're going to throw four darts. Now, here's the thing. You're going to stand back here because if you hit the bullseye, it's going to completely ruin my illustration. <laughs> if you know anything about darts, um, you know that the bullseye isn't actually uh, the spot on the board that has the most points. Um, but if you're new to darts or uh, it's just something fun that you do, what's the one spot that you want to hit? It's the bullseye. Most people want to hit. If they don't know about darts, Brent, come on. They, they want to hit the bullseye. So you're going to try to hit the bullseye. I'm just going to step out of the way. If you're in the front row, just be careful. Just <laughs> guard your face. All right, you're going to try to hit the bullseye. That's fine with me. I think I'm going to do good this morning. There we go. <laughs> All right, give him a hand this morning. <laughs> that was pretty close. In case you can't see over here, he didn't hit it. <laughs> awesome. Good job, man. So for the sake of our illustration this morning, again, there's probably some theological gaps in this thing, so just work with me. You know, we don't, we don't live to just try to earn points. That would be one of them. All right, it's not a work-based salvation. We're saved by God's grace through faith alone. Amen. Amen. So for the sake of our illustration, the bullseye is going to represent God's perfect standard. 
Um, Every other area on the board is going to represent sin. You see, we can miss a target by an inch or we can miss it by a mile, but missing is missing. We're not graded on a curve. I used to wish we were graded on a curve when I was in like elementary school because I was on the lower end of the, the totem pole there, especially for spelling, man. See, when it comes to God's standard, we, we all miss the mark. We all fall short. It's been said that sin isn't just a bad habit for a few. And I think that's easy for us to maybe categorize it that way. We, we kind of point out other people's sin. We don't really look at the sin in our own lives. It's been said that sin isn't just a bad habit for a few, but that sin is the greatest problem for all people. And I, I would agree with that 100%. You see, sin, it, it severs relationships. It causes brokenness. It causes conflict with others and conflict in our own hearts. And sin ultimately separates us from God. In fact, because of sin, it's actually impossible to know God or live for God unless someone does something about our sin problem. But while sin is our greatest problem, it's also our greatest insight that there's a mindful, mighty, forgiving and loving God who has made a way for us to know him personally, to live for him purposefully, to have purpose in our life and to enjoy a relationship with him forever. So while sin is our greatest problem, it also reveals to us that we need a savior. If you're taking notes, the third point for this morning is going to be this, that Jesus's birth ultimately points us to the cross. Jesus' birth ultimately points us to the cross. Jesus was born with the purpose of redeeming people. Jesus is God's son. He was miraculously born of a virgin, meaning he was both fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless life, meaning he could serve as an acceptable sacrifice for our sins. We no longer have to sacrifice animals for that. That doesn't last. He died on the cross for the sins of the world because no one other than Jesus is good enough to meet God's perfect standard. I'm not good enough. My wife's not good enough. None of us are good enough for that. After being crucified and buried, we read that on the third day he rose from death, defeating sin, defeating Satan, and defeating death, accomplishing his purpose, accomplishing his mission to provide a way for people to be redeemed. And because of this good news, the Bible tells us that anyone who puts their faith and their trust in Jesus alone for salvation can be saved, forgiven, and adopted as a child of God. See, Jesus' birth points us to the cross because his work on the cross was the final and perfect sacrifice for our sin. In fact, nothing else is needed. Nothing. There's a wonderful chapter in the book of Hebrews. I I debated reading this morning, um, but it's kind of lengthy, so I'm not going to do that. But I want to give this to you this morning, and you can write this down. I want to encourage you to read this when you go home today. It's Hebrews chapter uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. I think single-handedly this text gives us clarity on why Jesus, uh, why his sacrifice was final. Why nothing else is needed. Why the Old Testament uh, rules for, for uh, sacrificial law and things like that, that it doesn't, we don't need that anymore. 
It doesn't hold any weight. Hebrews 10, 1 through 18 gives us clarification on what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So church, Zechariah's song is a song of praise. It's a song of celebration. He's reminding us that God always keeps his promises and that God is a good and loving father who has provided a way for us to have a restored relationship with him through his son, Jesus. We talk about John being born to um, Elizabeth and, and Zachariah, and the purpose of his birth was to prepare the way for Jesus. But church, Jesus is the way. Amen? John came to prepare the way for Jesus, but Jesus is the way. John 14, verse 6 says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Church, today we can worship and celebrate in anticipation for the birth of Christ because we know that his birth ultimately leads to the cross. And this is where sin, Satan, and death are defeated. It's where hope, joy, and salvation are found. Friends, Jesus was born with a purpose. And that purpose was to redeem people. I want to encourage us to worship today for what Jesus has done and for what Jesus is doing in our lives.